you're listening to Behind the Experience with Sense Group, where your host, Mark Benedict, speaks to forward-thinking leaders, marketers, and innovators about the current state and future of brand experiences. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Experience. I'm your host, Mark Benedict, co-founder and director of Sense Group here in Sydney. And if you join us on our last episode with behavioral scientist Kristen Berman, uh, you'll know that we're currently curating a COVID toolkit uh, to help brands come out the other side of this crisis stronger than before with the power of brand experiences and events. So for more information on that, you can visit our website, uh, sensegroup.com.au. But look, for today, uh, today's guest is a, is a very well-known expert here in Sydney in the event and brand experience field. Uh, Momo Vasilev is a very experienced risk and safety manager with over 15 years continued service with Avert Assure. Uh, Momo is very highly respected in the industry for his extensive safety risk management knowledge, his passionate approach to practical risk and safety management, and for building a collaborative, safe culture. Welcome to the show, Momo. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Look, Momo, for, for those people out there that, that don't know you or who haven't worked directly in the industry before, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, your background and where you come from and the work that you do with Avert Assure? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I worked um, I worked with our, our mother company before I started with Assure Avert, which is um, called Ace Security. Um, and an opportunity uh, came by in the early 2000s to um, to get qualified and um, and get into into our safety wing, which is uh, strongly focused on the events industry. So um, after after doing some courses, I got the exposure to to start working in the events industry, which initially. Um, was uh, was not easy, and from the first day, I found that it does have um, its very specific um, challenges and and, and demands. Um, but it has been a pleasant journey for nearly fifteen years, as you said. Um, I'm sure of it works with any kind of event. So um, I've been involved with um, outdoor live music events, um, stadium shows, or outdoor festivals, corporate functions. Uh, um, motor, motor racing elements and shows like Monster Jam, um, and so on and so forth. Um, the, 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 the business have, has expanded and as compliance, uh, requirements from event managers and so on grow over the years, um, we initially worked with uh, uh, risk assessments on basic safety plans and now um, approvals yep. required emergency management, traffic management, uh, specific crowd plans and so on. So things have become a bit more complex on the administration side of uh, the planning for events. Uh, but that is, you know, in a nutshell. And have you seen, have you seen over time, the, obviously the business itself has expanded into different areas, but have you seen over time risk and occupational health and safety become more prevalent in the event world? Is it something that people are taking a lot more seriously and, and dedicate a lot more time towards these days than, than they used to, say, 15 years ago? Um, yes, certainly. Um, they, they have, and it, it's an interesting phenomenon that I've, I've been observing that um, it's, it, I wouldn't necessarily say it's linked to legislation, although um, governments and regulators have have changed legislation. Um, usually, it's on a on a ten year um, cyclic that uh, 
blogs get updated only about 15 years. Um, however, right. uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it was driven by law, but it has definitely propagated. Um, there's more awareness now as of the actual legal environment that people operate in. Um, and now it has become more prevalent, as you said, that since awareness has grown, um, now the um, the, the demand for, for planning documents such as risk, risk assessments has increased, um, certainly exponentially. Um, however, at, at the same time, there's no guarantee as of how our clients or how people in the industry take these risk assessments, those, those, those documents, because within them, there is a, advice that can actually change the way that things are done. But at the same time, there's, um, as you can imagine, there's never a guaranteed connection that um, we as a company can act as an auditor and and pursue our clients to ensure that they've done every single thing that, that is prescribed in a way that the onus is on the event manager to take um, take some ownership of the event and actually see see how they're going to manage it. Um, but there's, it's yeah. definitely grown up. Um, and uh, my last comment is more based on the volume of work we do rather than, I will not necessarily say that I'm suspicious or I, I doubt uh, people's commitments to safety, um, but because of such mm. a huge volume of, say, risk assessments that we work with, um, it is hard to predict how many of them will, will actually be, be hardly, will be actually enacted and to what extent. Yes, yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I know as a company, our company, we uh, use you guys to do a lot of the risk assessment work for us for the events that we do. And I, I guess for um, people listening, what you're saying is true is you provide the, the recommendations and the framework for which a company like ourselves as producers need to implement and make that an actual implemented um, mechanism within the projects that we're we're creating, I guess you're not there on the ground, uh, although I guess you potentially could be, but with us, I guess from our experience, you're not there on the ground uh, making sure we do what you've asked us to do. Um, it is There is an onus on the, the production company to implement those recommendations, isn't there? Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, to, um, realistically, with, with your team, uh, um, I, I did have a little bit more exposure. Um, as of, uh, with, with some clients, we do find the time or we kind of reach from each end to, uh, to meet or to interact or, or for someone from our company to come and visit one of your sites and whatnot. So with your team, I had a, a, a little bit more interaction than what with similar clients, so uh, I would say my observations with, with with your with your team is that that they put a pretty pretty decent effort to to implement everything. Um, oh. But um, yeah, and plus that as you know, we we work fairly regularly. But I do we have encountered clients which may have a one off event or or it's something that um, um, for that particular event they decided to 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 engage us, and these are the ones that um, uh, although we put all efforts to explain and to prescribe and whatnot, it's still not certain. Um, I'm not yeah. necessarily saying that it it is an absolute must, um, but at the same time, as you said, we, we're based on on practical solutions and on actual safe outcomes. So, um, yes. if, yeah, if, if in an instance the event manager just does degrading almost every single line item in that document or dismissing, then obviously it will, there will not be much of a change at, at the other end. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And look, we'll get I'll get into maybe some of the more specific thoughts that we have around 
COVID and how that might change the way people think about events in the future. But I, I thought it might be interesting just to to go back and thinking back in your career. And I'm, I've obviously on, on the website you've got some some really huge uh, uh, events there, things like Taylor Swift concerts and ACDC and Ed Sheeran contest uh, concerts. You know, right down to the um, the Quimoli Bathurst Twelve Hour and um, sculptures by the sea, the NRL, NRL Grand Final. There's some some really huge events there. What are some of the events that stick out in your mind from um, ones that have been great to be involved with, or I don't, or I don't know, even maybe ones that th- things that did go wrong? An interesting, interesting uh, experience that you might have had working in your field. Mm-hmm. Well, the, this uh, I mean, over fifteen years and been doing it full time and living it every day. Um, there's a, a fair bit to go to back to go back over. As far as events are concerned, um, my um, my very uh, intimate and interesting memories so get imprinted. I imprinted forever. Um, um, Basically, what you mentioned with ACDC is as far as um, the live music acts are concerned in stadiums, two of my best experiences was as well with ACDC and, um, and Sir Paul McCartney. Uh, so one of them was uh, yeah. the, the, the Sydney shows of ACDC, Black Eyes and Rock or Bust, and the Paul McCartney one at Aden Park in Melbourne. Um, being that over the years I developed an eye and, and a year for the show format, so... Um, the ACDC band um, and Paul McCartney both had a very good package of the show altogether, being audio, lighting, special effects, stage design, stage depth, and the artists or the band themselves. So, um, right. these, the, although I have seen more, many music acts with Pearl Jam and so on, um, these two were everything was actually complementing everything. So, as a package, they were they were very very strong. Um, as, as an actual product. Um, as far as unique events are concerned in terms of perhaps safety challenges as well, um, I've, I've had a, and still have a relationship with uh, Field Entertainment uh, uh, US, which uh, own Monster Jam, the Monster Jam brand. So um, these right. are known American Monster Trucks. Um, this is a touring a touring event that basically does about 150 used to, obviously, pre-COVID um used to do 150 uh, countries uh, a year so they would have a touring show from from, from wow. Stockholm in Sweden to Costa Rica to Melbourne in Sydney uh, sorry in Australia um concurrently yeah um so uh, motorsports uh, heavy duty equipment very quick turnarounds everything gets put together in a, in a week um and the other format which was quite unique is um there was a one-off production between ANZ Stadium and um, Stade de France in in in, in France, um, which was called Ben mm-hmm. So it was essentially a reenactment of most of many of the episodes of the Ben uh, movie, uh, but on a grand scale in ANZ Stadium. Being the stadium pitch was covered with crushed brick, and we had the chariots race around and the um, the slave ship with the slaves rowing and so on. Um, it had many. Wow. It had many That's challenges. Cool. Yes, um, but it, as far as experiences are concerned, yeah, these are two big ones um, in terms of planning. 
Um, so say for, for Banker, for example, a critical show component was um, to have uh, forklift operators driving during the show, night after night after night, driving into the field. Um, and the uh, a particular model of a telehandler machine was used and certified to make parts of the galley ship of the actual for the scene. So, so mm-hmm. the big argument there was the the people who had the expertise to do this were actually a French team because this show was put by Stade de France in Paris. Um, so the, the big stumble there was compliance because although it's part of the show, these people were supposed to operate an industrial machine, which in our Australian world is strictly regulated. So um, well, yes. so the only it way is, to yes. manage this was to, to get these French people to actually do the course. <laughs> so um, they arrived a little bit earlier and uh, we put them on, on a course and they actually did a, a very quick crash crash course in Australia, but they did it legitimately and were certified to our rules and were allowed to drive. Um, with, uh, on the other hand, say with the, with the Monster Jam show format, um, uh, pr- practical solutions, as I said, but um, um, in that particular one, there's, there's a fair bit of interaction between very big machines, including earth-moving machines, bulldozers and so on, and people. So a lot of uh, what's been done there was um, in theory administrative, um, but because of the safety culture and the fact that people stuck with it and, and adhered to it and complied with it for many years now, it, it has actually been effective. And that is very particular rules about separation between people and machines in all stages uh, during the bump in, during the shows and so on. Um, and yeah. in practice, in, in theory, it's, it usually doesn't work because you expect workers and others to do the right thing. Um, but it, in that instance, they there was some reliability and some monitoring and it, it actually does work because it's an overall culture of, of very good discipline. So, um, yeah. And so these kind of guys which are doing uh, night after night shows around the world, you know, it's a it's it's big business and there's a lot of logistics going on in the background. How do you think these companies and have you been speaking to these kind of companies? I'd be interested to to get your thoughts on how are these guys planning for the future because these large scale shows are probably going to be one of I imagine one of the last types of events to come back into existence again with social distancing rules and and the numbers of people allowed in in certain one area at a certain time how are these guys sort of dealing with the challenges of um uh, at the moment of, of when they think they can get back no, to well, business? It's a, look, it, it, is, it, is a, <laughs> it is a difficult question to answer because, um, um, that, as you can imagine, with, uh, with COVID and, and, and now events industry were very heavily impacted. So um, a lot of the changes that have been made and decisions that have been made in many businesses related to the event industry were, um, were first very critical for the business and second, um, taken on a very high level. So, the uh, yeah. as far as say some of our American clients that come to Australia are concerned, um, I wouldn't so have to speculate because the the decisions that are taken up there are, are basically pretty much on a, on an apex level by the owner of board of directors or so on. Um, so my yes. context is mainly being with um, high ranking touring and uh, you know global touring and whatnot managers, but even they themselves are not completely in the clear because of the decisions are taken right up in boardroom. Um, what I know for now, though, is that the impact was very high. So 
European. Um, I had some interaction with some of my colleagues in Holland last week. And um, um, Holland, for example, had a very, very strong events industry, in particularly outdoor festivals in the summer. Um, they were working on a format that they had um, an average of 90 festivals in the summer of the size of our big day out back in the days. So there was about three, four festivals every weekend on top of each other. Um, they yeah. do probably about 70% of the events companies there, so service providers like lighting, audio, whatever, have pretty much shut shop as of um, gone in liquidation. And um, some of the most highly regarded event people are discussing now whether they, the Dutch event industry will be able to recover and how. Um, I know for, for American, some American operators have downsized by about 90%. So as of laid off people or stood down stuff, um, and and these these yes. actions were taken across the board. So we're not talking only grassroots workers, but all the way, including some of the presidents and vice presidents of divisions and so on for the bigger structures across 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 the board. Yeah, yeah. Look, it is it, um, it is a crazy time, isn't it? It's uh, impacting these guys to at a very deep level. I mean, there's not much a business can do if there is no. Uh, revenue available for for a particular industry that that uh, there's not much yeah. you can do about, is there? Um, I mean, some some of these guys, um, do you think they will are in the process of planning towards a post COVID approach, or do you think they're just uh, sitting I and waiting they at are. the moment? Uh, they are planning, um, but, but but most are. I mean, that, that I'll have to keep things discreet, but. Um, I have had communications with um, government representatives in Australia, for example, in, in our state in New South Wales, um, that a lot of events are now being discussed actively. And the fact that bigger events that we have in Sydney, um, as you know, Vivid was cancelled for this year for sure. Um, but uh, yes, certainly people that are in a way our colleagues, they, they might be government employees, but their job is also events. Um, they are definitely looking at basically starting planning for, for, the, for the future. Um, a lot of events are being conceptualized. A lot of planning is gone at the moment and I do. I have worked over the last few weeks on this as of uh, as you know, the early planning stages, but uh, for a lot of events, the, the concept work, uh, some of the theoretical notions and whatever can be run out in advance. Um, so there's a lot of consultation going on and whatnot for yes. events in the future. Um, but in my view, uh, you know, with humans being social creatures, we we cannot have events. Um, you know, the million dollar question will be to in what form they'll return. Um, I do believe that. Um, I do believe in nature, even in human structures and functions. So I believe society and, and our industry will, will basically find its way. Uh, I don't believe anyone would necessarily lead the way, but, um, um, well, except government, obviously, because they're the ones that actually regulate things. But um, uh, I do believe events will happen again. Um, at the moment, the question is is when. And I compare our state government, our our Australian government, uh, federal, and I compare European, I'm monitoring some European and some US state actions in, in terms of timeframes and where they go. At the moment, for for many Europeans, they they aim to, to open, some of them have started already opening up on social sections, but I would say for events, um, 
it, it's very hard to predict uh, whether it will be July, whether August, whether September, whether October, and whatnot. But I would believe that it, it is highly likely that we would not have events before New Year's Eve. Uh, as of, uh, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's an interesting point. I mean, I think we we probably have a similar mindset that I think in our minds, from a, working from a very conservative position, we have factored that 2020 is almost a write-off in terms of the industry. If we can get some events in the 2020 calendar year, then I think that would we'd consider that almost a bonus from our from our point of view. And then in terms of, I mean, the other the other thing we have in our minds as as a company is bringing people back to live events. Um, there might be a job to do there to, I guess, assure. Um, audiences that it is safe for them to do so. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of chief marketing officers at companies, particularly in the corporate world, when we're doing corporate events. Um, and something that does seem to be top of mind and coming up time and time again is that they do need to provide a, a duty of care, I guess, to their audiences and, and make sure that they feel safe in actually attending their event. Um, you know, they don't want to be the next company or event responsible for a cluster of infections. That might that might arise, you know. Are there things in your mind that you've been looking at? And I imagine you've been probably learning a whole lot of new information with lots of new legislation coming on board recently. Are there some key areas that you think need to be thought about post COVID as to how we how we create events? Is it about social distancing measures? Is it about having occupational health and safety officers on site all the time? Um, monitoring the way things are being done. I mean, what are some of the key things that you think these guys uh, need to be thinking about and we can help our clients think about um, towards oh, post-COVID yeah, sure. events? Um, look, at, um, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a key message. I've uh, I've been I've been monitoring what's happening. I've been reading a lot of publications, and, you know, particularly focused on the COVID affair. But uh, even if we zoom out of COVID, it's, it's basically a virus that, that went global. Um, so, in any such scenario, what one important lesson from this is that this might repeat, as of not necessarily COVID, but now. As many people thought that potentially things cannot go that bad, or particularly something like this cannot have such an impact on our industry, then now we know that it can. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, so that's something definitely, that it definitely can. Um, but the, the, the two core, the two core elements that, um, that coming from everywhere, um, I looked, um, um, it's basically two legs. One of them is, the crowd capacity as of the patron capacity, um, which is, as you said, the social distancing element. And then the other one is the, the other one is the hygiene. So then the sanitization and so on. The reason I put hygiene on the, on the second point is because <clears throat> I don't believe that we've been performing poorly in Australia. And so if we have good hygiene standards or, you know, good amenities and so on, food prep. Preparation. So, um, I believe the social distancing is the one that has the impact because um, social distancing, obviously, at the moment, we have still have certain restrictions. But let's say you open events, um, the the current 
rules uh, in New South Wales, but they're pretty much national. And we still stuck with the 1.5 meters between people and uh, say our New South Wales uh, mm-hmm. workplace regulators, so forth. Um, they advise also that for workers um, at the workplace, they shouldn't socialize in groups of more than two. So let's say if you have a factory and whatever that has right. workers when they go on a break or whatnot, or the smoke or as they call it, there should be no more than two two workers together, still 1.5 meters apart. So if you project that that rule onto events, um, if you are targeting um, an event page range of, say, 500 or 1,000 people, then obviously with the pure spatial um, situation turnaround, this, if you are planning an event of 1,000 people, then you need 4,000 square meters because the current rules are saying that you must have one person per four square meters. So it's a fourfold, yes. um, fourfold effect. So our the typical event industry uh, formats are that one person per one square meter is, is a very, very comfortable density. Then you have two people and so on. This actually reverses the scale and it goes that you can only put one human being in four square meters. So if you have a function for a thousand people, as a practical example, if you have a function for a thousand people, um, even without considering your infrastructure for the event or bars or whatever, um, to meet the current requirements, you're better off putting them in the Holden Pavilion, which has a capacity of over 5,000 in order to, in order to meet that rule. Yeah. Um, so it's going to really affect, obviously, crowd definitely. sizes within spaces, which uh, is going to affect, you know, the experience, be it a concert definitely. or a corporate event or or if you're, if you're in a venue. And then I guess as well, the, the idea of uh, things that come to mind when I think about that is, you know, clients are going to be thinking how much mm-hmm. return on investment are we going to be getting from this particular event when we can have a smaller patronage or a small, smaller audience, plus at the same time having to balance that out against a larger venue because obviously that's no one wants to spend more money than is necessary on a larger venue than is required, but that's also highly impacts the, the experience of that person in the event um, because... You know, I think particularly about things like concerts where you, the energy of a crowd and being within a crowd fairly tightly knit is part of that experience. So it's going to really put a, put a lot of emphasis on, on people like us, I guess, when we're dealing with our clients to try and come up with ways in which we can still create that emotional connection with people um, and brands particularly. They're talking about trying to achieve objectives with these events. How do, how do we still achieve achieve these objectives yeah. through connection? Um, is going to be it's going to be a real challenge. I think it's going to affect the formats of events and and the way in which we do things quite profoundly uh, in the short term until that that potentially changes. Have you been hearing around the traps how how much that rule will apply to events, the four square meters, or will that come down at any time stage in the future, or do you think that's that's the way it is for it's, now, and that's the foreseeable I would say future. It's the foreseeable future is, um, I mean, there's no indication that whether it will be sustained or not. Um, but essentially, that's the current format, and um, it is not a pleasant one. But yet again, it's not catastrophic. If 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 events, as you said, if, if there will be challenges, but as long as events open up and we can actually put people together, well, it's a good start. <laughs> um, but um, um, yeah, the, it's saying at the moment it's not very clear. Whether 
whether they'll sustain it. Um, challenges will be there, but as you said, that's a very good comment that um, that's how I see it. If you go one person per four square meters, you immediately um, arrive at a challenge with venue size and so on. Uh, return on investment, as you said, then immediately the concept comes, well, aren't we better off if we have target audience X um, to really work hard on, on an online platform and do some kind of an online party or, or something um, rather than hiring a physical venue and doing it a traditional yep. Um I believe that just based and, and perhaps for our industry's case forward, the, the, perhaps if, if these rules do continue, we will end up either naturally observing some social phenomena of, of our event patrons breaching that rule um, or or, um, or possibly we, we can have some specialists in, in social psychology and whatever step in and say, look, we have to change this because it's actually now having an observable impact on people's uh, minds. Um, at the moment, I believe it's manageable, yes. but as you said, for the for the public events of the scale of, say, New Year's Eve in Sydney or Vivid or whatnot, I believe it's quite bearable because what has to happen there is just very simple crowd control and panning to meet that rule. So once the capacity is given, and we already know the capacities of many public areas in Sydney, all we do is just downsize how many people are allowed in. Um, and then how people then how people interact within that yeah. space, then, you know, we, we're not robots and the, you can't really police that that much. Um, but it's definitely having an impact would have an impact on on the on the corporate events, but um, yet again, we got to consider the source. So these these distancing conditions and so on are all based on the on the COVID threat and the way it was analyzed and the way that its impact was analyzed. So as the COVID threat goes goes down, it's, it lowers. Um, it it will be hard to continue to to, to hold the argument for this social distancing. So I believe if as as the echoes um, um, diffuse not only in Australia but around the world, one would hope that the argument for these restrictions and these social distancings will, will start getting weaker and weaker. So we, we can hopefully go back to normal, absolute normal. Um, what what will happen though is obviously with yes. the basic lessons learned, you know, we, we have to have the hand sanitizers, the more frequent amenities, checks and cleanups and, 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 and whatnot. And these are obvious things, but like as I said before, I don't think Australia would be doing too bad with hygiene. We just have to be seen to do more and, you know, for the patrons and so on. But uh, my feel out there is that a lot of people, especially the, um, the broader public, will be very keen to have events. Yeah, look, I, I, think, you, I think you're very, you're on, on the money there exactly. I think um, there are processes that, that uh, get put in place with events that are already there and it's, it's an adjustment to some of the new rulings. So it's not like we're creating a whole uh, lot of work out of nothing. We're, we're very used to implementing these kind of things already. Um, it, it just changes the game a little bit. So if people wanted to uh, work with you in the future and, and work with Avert Risk and Avert Assure, what, what's the best way uh, to contact well, to contact you? Um, we are reachable to our website, which is um, Avert Risk and Assure Safety. Um, it's uh, very easy to find. I mean, we don't we don't have any any other 
uh, names or competitors with names that are, that are close to our main service for VertRisk is just simply called services at vertrisk.com.au. Um, it, it is a team of us. Uh, I am the one that is more senior because has uh, worked for the longest, but uh, um, they are, I do also have peers and colleagues that work with me like Simon Clark and, and a few others. And, and also um, I often discuss the industry and so on with one of our directors, Andrew Tetra, who's very well known in the industry. Um, so yeah, it's uh, my personal email is momo at the risk.com.au, which is just a small case, M-O-M-O. Um, but um, yeah, then anyone that, that wants to reach out, they can find us on the website. Well, look, Momo, thank you very much for, for joining me today on this. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing for us to be talking about at the moment. Um, not, not, not something that uh, people generally see at events, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that they are safe uh, places to be, to, to experience uh, enjoy. Um, so I really appreciate the time this morning and um, helping um, you know put some of your thoughts towards some of this this COVID toolkit that we're building online for event professionals and for for brands to to help understand how to deal with this um, as we come come through it. So for for people out there, to be be sure to check out that online resource, which can be found through our website, which is sensegroup.com.au, and we'll provide the links in the show notes for the podcast. And look, stay safe, stay connected. Momo, thanks again. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Experience. Behind the Experience is proudly brought to you by Sense Group, an independent experience design agency that mined the frontiers of creativity and technology to curate emotionally charged experiences that connect brands with audiences in meaningful, lasting ways. To get in touch, check out the links in the show notes.